Hello, people. Welcome to Manga University. Ziki here. Unfortunately, Bill can't join us today, but he will be back soon. This is part two of a conversation with Jade Sarson, mangaka or comic book artist and writer, who's here to... Well, initially we had spoken about her and her work, and now we're going to have an in-depth conversation about slice of life and sort of low concept narratives and how to think about constructing these kinds of stories. If you want, I highly recommend checking out part one of this conversation first, but if you like your stories and puzzles, then well, to each their own. So, Jade, <laughs> welcome to part two of the conversation. Yes, hello. I Also, I thought it was Manga College now. <laughs> oh my days. Thank you. Thank you so much. For, I, I spent so long internalizing the, the intro for, for the podcast that now that we chase Manga College, it's, it's almost like, I don't know, having plastic surgery, you just can't recognize yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much. This is Manga College. In any case, we're looking at slice of life as a subgenre and also as the main story genre as well. So, Jay, since you are a slice of life writer and comic book creator, mm-hmm. in this podcast, we always like to start off with definitions. So, can you give us a basic definition to kick things off? Hmm, okay. How does one sum up slice of life? I guess it's what it says on the tin. Slice of life is like cutaway element of the everyday. So it's not your absurd out there concepts. It's literally stuff that's relatable, stuff that happens every day to the average person. And in terms of thinking of slice of life, I think that even if you're not trying to write a slice of life, so for example, I'm, I'm working on dark fantasy, is that you still need, like, like we said in the previous edition of this conversation, you still need those elements because if it's all dragons and special powers and, and magic, it's, it's hard to, to fully connect without those slice of life elements. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. You need relatable moments. Even when you've got absurd out there stuff going on, if the characters aren't doing things that make them human and relatable and sympathetic, then characters and, I mean, readers won't want to read about them. Okay, so speaking of relatability, because we've, we've spoken about that several times now, how do you think people can go about making characters relatable? Because I think part of the, the challenge is, is that you, you throw in things like, I don't know, like his, his, his wife is cheating on him or, or he's being bullied, and, and sometimes, essentially tropes and cliches, yeah. and sometimes it can come off as, as a little bit uh, contrived. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I guess a good example would be coming back to some examples you've used on the show before, such as sort of Bleach and Naruto. So Ichigo and Naruto, those protagonists, have the tendency to seem a little too perfect at times. And my best lesson that I only really figured out halfway through making Cafe Sawada is that you need to make characters imperfect and that way they'll seem human. So my main character, Geraldine, often overreacts to stuff. She says quite hateful things sometimes and genuinely hurts people's feelings. And in a way, by making her do those bad things and then, you know, regret them, go through difficult apologies and things, that makes her relatable. And so people find even though she does bad things people will find that likable because they can see themselves in those moments everyone messes up everyone 
makes mistakes. And so if your characters don't make any mistakes and they seem above it all, they just don't seem human at all to me. I 100% agree with you. I would say in the case of your Ichigos and your Naruto's, essentially your shonen comics and also superheroes as well, because it's, it's very common in, in that kind of genre. Like Superman never makes mistakes. And I've always found that really hard to wrap my head around. Mm-hmm. I think that then what you need in those kind of situations are other characters that will that will bring forth the, the human element. So they can be kind of like the, the iconic heroes. A good example would be, I think Bill brought this up in a previous edition of this podcast, is in, in One Punch Man, for example. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to relate with Saitama because he's, he's just so strong, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but what, what, what they do is then they br- then bring in the character of Janos. And then he's incredibly imperfect. He's so weak. And then watching him just get beaten up all the time. In fact, like mm. one of my favorite parts of the initial arc of the, of the series is where Janos gets beaten, gets the living daylight beating out of him by the, by the Fisher King. And he keeps on trying and trying and trying. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought that that was, that was a really, really cool touch. And, and that's some way to, to kind of remedy the challenge you might face if you have a protagonist that's too perfect. That being said, I do think giving them imperfections is a better solution, depending on what you're going for. For sure. And the irony there is that Genos is like a robot, and yet he's more human than Saitama. <laughs> I know, I know. I wonder if one actually did that on, on purpose. To Probably. Be... Yeah. And I think another key element that people should also look out for is is understanding so you know we we're, we're still on the thread of how do you make sure that you're not creating these things and, and they seem contrived is is having this understanding you know i came across this concept recently called the idiot plot where it's just that like if the characters just had a conversation with each other and then they and they had a sensible conversation then a lot of the the drama would would have would have subsided so i think the what i'm trying to drill down here is that if you understand why the the characters are doing what they're they're doing if the emotions that they're invoking within you feel earned as well Mm -hmm. then it sets your story off in the right direction Mm. yeah i haven't heard that uh theory before but that's yeah it's an interesting concept i think one thing that a lot of people don't really think about as well is that often the reader is aware of more of the facts than the characters themselves are and so right. you have to kind of tackle that divide of when is the character going to learn the things that the reader knows? And I guess some of the good tension really comes from that. Like the reader may be getting impatient and wanting the character to figure things out. Yeah, and, and, and that actually relates back to the whole idiot plot thing that I, I mentioned before in, in the sense that when you have more information than the, the character, I, I think that it's important to, to make it plausible that the character doesn't get this information. I think where readers get frustrated is where it just seems far too obvious, but, but for the sake of keeping the story going or for the sake of they don't allow the characters to exercise just some measure, just some measure of common sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That can be really frustrating. Like, I think if you're too afraid to have your character learn and actually change and grow just for the sake of your story lasting for longer, then it's going to suffer it's actually better to have a story be shorter and entertaining and, you know, coherent rather than drawn out and lose its spark and all that kind of tension that you have in the beginning. I think too many people, when they're starting out, they're just tempted to go, I'm going to make this big, long epic 
<sighs> and it's like, no, no, no. The best thing is tackling short stories. Like they're so much more challenging, but it's worth it in my opinion anyway. No, I, I agree with you. I, I always rather a story leave me wanting more yeah. than me being like, oh my God, like when is this going to end? <laughs> like something I, I figured out recently is that some of the best stories don't give you all the answers. They need to have a little bit of your input. Otherwise, if you know, if you know absolutely everything, then you won't want to come back to it ever again. You, you just kind of, I guess like one of my most recent examples of that was I finished reading uh, Urasawa's Monster series recently. Oh, brilliant. And so did I. <laughs> oh my God, like that ending. I'm not going to spoil it for anyone, but you, you don't really get an answer to anything. And it's fantastic because you have hints of what it could be and possibilities. And yet you don't really have anything finite, you know, and that's brilliant. I love the fact that you brought up the monster for two reasons. One is that some of the most beautiful parts of the story are the the slice of life, exactly, where we're seeing just what life is like in Slovakia yeah. and what life is like in, in in Germany. And the characters, you know, it's, it's what you mentioned about imperfect characters. The characters are every character in that show is extremely flawed, but. That just makes me love them so much. I mean, when, you know, not giving away too many, or I won't give away any spoilers, but some characters do pass away, unfortunately. And it actually yeah. really, really breaks my heart when I see it. I've never felt, it's rare that I feel so emotionally invested in, in, in characters. And I think that's because he, even though Monster is essentially a thriller, he's, he's used the slice of life to really make you very, very emotionally invested in everything. Yeah. For sure, like that that series is like textbook perfect example of taking enough breaks in a really kind of heavy and intense story. Like there's so many scenes of them just eating food together. And I found that really astounding. Like, oh, that's fantastic. We're actually seeing the wind down scenes. It gives you a chance to breathe and it gives you a chance to experience these characters out of the situation. So you have some more context for their kind of behavior which is yeah. fantastic and i think a perfect series to juxtapose to monster is something like attack on titan yeah where, <laughs> where the only thing that's interesting is when there's the action and then the characters are facing this immediate risk but once the the titans are gone and once there's no action the, the plot just feels like it drags along yeah whereas, for sure. with, whereas with monster even though you're you're hungry for this mystery it's like, even though they pause and they're like, you know, another set of characters, another, because it's almost like a hybrid sort of, it has a very anthology-like feel to yeah, it. So yeah. it's like, even though you introduce these new characters, you're, you don't mind. You're not like, okay, well, we have to find out what's going on yet. You know, you're, you're so engrossed in the, in the simple life that these guys are, are living. Mm. Yeah. yeah, there's, um, uh, the thing about Monster is the... There's a character that I'd, I'd say it's not a spoiler because this is first volume stuff. But okay. So the main character's fiance. Ava, right? Oh, Ava. Yes, yes, that's it. So she was my favorite character from the series, even though she's an okay. absolute bitch. <laughs> like she's horrible. <laughs> but she was the most relatable, I think, for the whole series because 
everyone else had this kind of tie to the main um, mystery that was going on. But she was the only one that was just in it because she felt abandoned. And like, I think everyone can deal with, has dealt with an issue of abandonment at times. And she does horrible things to try and get her fiance back. I think that was like, even though it's so dark, it's the most relatable thing. And so it's a good example of not making your characters too horrible. You need, you need to kind of toe that line. Like what's, what's just horrible enough, but still likable, I think. Realize the, I think also what he does is he gives you a very good understanding of what drives her behavior. Mm. So even though she's doing all of these horrible things, it's for a reason that all of us can, can really, really exactly. relate with. Yeah. So that's what makes it really fascinating. Mm. Uh, we, we may end up doing, this may end up being the, the monster cast. So let's switch gears. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 it's great. It's such a, you know, an amazing series. So I'm glad that we, we spoke about it for some time. But what I wanted to ask is essentially, at the beginning of this show, we, we looked at, okay, what, what do you do when you have an idea? And we mentioned some frameworks that, that, that people can consider mm-hmm. when constructing their stories. And I, I mean, Bill mentioned the hero's journey, which is kind of the classic template. Star mm-hmm. Wars, if ever, anyone has ever seen Star Wars, it's pretty much textbook hero's journey. And I wanted to find out if you think any of those classical frameworks apply to a, a slice of life and how they may be different because you don't necessarily have this epic quest where the hero must leave their home and, and you know, go slay the dragon, et cetera, mm. et cetera. But I think maybe you can transpose them into metaphors to represent all of those things. Oh, for sure. Like um, I teach workshops on, you know, storytelling and stuff. And one of the main things I try to intimate is that when storytelling and narrative theory mentions conflict and conflict resolution as part of kind of story impetus it's not just mentioning like literal physical conflict conflict can be as simple as i lost a thing i need to get that thing back it all comes back to the want versus need problem i guess i'll use my own comic as an example um so geraldine my main character wants to sell tea therefore she needs to get rid of the coffee shop that has opened up next door and that's where the conflict comes in it's not literally the fight that's going between them the conflict comes from her need to have you know achieve her dream and so it's not always about having you know people fighting um with with star wars that's a great example it's not necessarily about you know luke going out and fighting vader that's not the central conflict the conflict is luke needing to face his father and you know change his opinion regarding you know the 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 rebellion and everything else yeah and and it doesn't necessarily quite have to manifest in a in a you know in a light in a high concept light lightsaber battle exactly or a a great war like facing facing the dragon might literally be maybe i don't know like coming out to your your parents as exactly yeah i don't know like confessing to to something i think Mm -hmm. i think that's maybe the dynamic and what i find really telling is you know i'll I'll use another example it's not slice of life it's slice of life as a sub genre which is steins gate i don't know if you've come across that yeah, I have. I've, I've watched the anime series. Okay, cool. Brilliant. And it's, it's interesting because when I first, first started watching it, I, I didn't get it at all until 
probably like a third into the series and I, and I realized it's about the hopes and dreams of, of all of these people to so really give mm. the, the, the plot is about a group of people who realize how to send text messages to themselves in the past. And they use these text messages to give themselves their, um, to, to basically like grant wishes for themselves. I won't say more, but understanding why each character sends a, their specific text message and what it means to them. That was really what opened my mind uh, to the show. And, and it's something as simple as maybe, so for example, like the, the, the protagonist and the, the, the female lead, there's, there's sort of like a romance undertone. And, and, and what really struck me about the, the show is I felt more invested in, in the relationship between these two characters than, for example, I, I used to be a massive, oh, I, I still am a massive Dragon Ball Z fan, but Dragon Ball Super is going on at the moment. And now you have characters that can blow up an entire universe. And I'm just like, well, whatever. I don't really yeah. care. <laughs> so the fact that I care about, I care more about the fact that will these two characters end up together than will the next baddie in Dragon Ball Super blow up the multiverse, I think is really, really telling of, of the power of a slice of life. That's the thing. Like, I've been watching Super as well. Like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. And like, I, I've been into Z since I was, what, like, 10 I think and so watching that I'm again I'm, I'm the same as you I'm bored by some of the fights because I'm like they're gonna win eventually it's fine but what really brings me back is all those little moments like Vegeta having another kid like oh so sweet <laughs> so and like you want it to the fights to hurry up so that they can get back to having like banquets on Bulma's ship because that's Actually, yeah, the stuff that, actually, now that you mention it, that was actually one of the most refreshing parts about Super was the fact that Beerus, who was the first villain that showed up in the series, who's no longer a villain now, is that he wasn't like the other villains. He didn't just want to destroy the Earth. He enjoyed human food. Yeah. He was like, oh, if you cook food for me, I wouldn't destroy the planet. Uh, one of my favorite parts of Super is where like Goku is trying to adjust to, to human life. You know, he's, he spent so long as a, as a warrior and he's just bored by, you know, mowing the lawn and stuff like that and, 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 and I, could, I could highly relate with that because I've worked in sort of the corporate world and, and I find that extremely boring and, and actually now that you mentioned it I didn't think about it before but those are actually the best parts of Super for me. Mm. It, um, there's a concept in the fan fiction community that's called like fluff Sure. and that basically refers to slice of life moments so you know fan fiction spans all genres but most of the time they'll be like a romantic element and an absurd element so like it'll be about harry potter or the avengers so there's all these fights going on but the fluff is when everyone just kind of takes a break and just hangs out maybe snuggles up in a warm jumper and has a hot chocolate and for some reason readers find that infinitely more appealing than reading about more fights and more conflict and i think it might just be down to pure exhaustion perhaps but I think fluff is like an important part of storytelling. You need those, it's something I mentioned earlier, you need breaks. Even as a reader who enjoys like really dark, intense stuff, like like Hannibal is one of my favorite TV shows. And like that goes to some real dark murder places. <laughs> but even in that, you have those fluff moments where they're just kind of sitting having a meal together that, that isn't made of people just a normal meal <laughs> and <laughs> and those moments are what tell you more about the characters and make them relatable so that when the fights do happen you actually care yeah i, I think a good analogy would be a, a roller coaster it's not just one 
perpetual slope down. You know, you go down and then it slows down for a bit and then you're building up to the next dip and then you keep going on and on and on. Without those breaks, it would just be a little bit too overwhelming and hard. Exactly. That's a really perfect analogy, actually. (laughs) Oh, thank you. And anyways, I think we're coming up to the end of today's conversation. So any last tips that you want people to consider for when they're thinking of writing slice of life as their main genre or their subgenre? I think a lot of people when they're writing think that every scene has to be full of dialogue. In essentially when you're writing your script or however you write your stories, people seem to feel like with comics, every page has to have some dialogue for it to be worth it. And so I think you need to keep in mind that pages can be devoid of dialogue. They can be devoid of action. In fact, they can be devoid of anything if you feel it's pertinent to the story. Several times in my comics, I've had characters just sit and stare because they need that moment and you as a reader need that time to digest what's perhaps happened on a previous page or you know something another character has said. And if you don't take the time to put those moments of silence in your story, then as you mentioned before, it's just going to be a nonstop roller coaster. Yes, actually one of my favorite moments in, in comics as a, as a whole is, is in Saga by Brian K. Vaughan and is it Fiona Staples? That yes, he, one. Okay, cool. Brilliant. And, and then there's a, there's a character there called, he, he's a bounty hunter. I forget his name now. And there's a scene where he, he, he kills someone by literally crushing their skull. And the skull explodes and, and the blood splatters all over his face. And for the next few panels, it's just him staring off into space, just doing nothing. You know, mm. he just has the blood stains on his face and staring off into his face. And that is so much more powerful than watching him destroy like an army of a hundred people if that makes any sense yeah absolutely and and, and and that's the power of taking a second to actually just focus but i, I think we could probably go another hour or two <laughs> yeah, for sure. thinking about uh, comics comics and manga so what happens when you bring two two fanatics in mm-hmm. the room. but I, I think we'll call it a day here hopefully this has given you guys listening an idea of how to approach slice of life and, and low or non-high concept uh, uh, stories. And I, and I highly recommend it because it's key, regardless of whatever story that, that you were thinking of, of trying to tell. Now, I completely, this completely slipped my mind, but typically at the end of every episode, we have some sort of writing prompt for our characters. And I, I should have mentioned this to you earlier, but I'm still going to put you on the spot and see oh if you have any ideas of a writing prompt that we can give a writing prompt. Yes. Ooh. Hmm. I guess it could come back to what we've used as examples throughout this whole episode. Write your characters having dinner together. Yes, I like that. Simple and sweet. So mm. we'll round off here, guys. Thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you, Jade, as well, for taking part in Manga College. Yeah, thanks for having me at the college. <laughs> no problems. But in case people are just jumping into part two of the conversation, just tell them again where they can find out more about you and what you're about. Sure. Um, so my main website is thermit.co.uk. That's where I 
place sort of my blog and all my comics previews and whatnot really good domain by the way yeah thank you um i can't even remember where i came up with that but it stuck Uh, (laughs) um and my patreon has exclusive access to early comics and behind the scenes stuff and like making of Uh, so that's patreon.com slash jade sarson and i also do a podcast if you don't mind me briefly pimping that as well oh no no no. actually i listened to a bit of your your podcast it's pretty cool oh did you awesome (laughs) yeah so it's called bitten by a radioactive podcast um and we basically do some storytelling every week Uh, we take a random prompt and try to come up with a unique superhero and then I illustrate each hero every week as well. Um, and I put it on our Twitter, which is uh, at BBR underscore podcast. Okay, I'll, I'll try to link to uh, as much of this, all of this in the show notes. Cheers. For people who are curious. And for on, on our side, by the way, if you're just jumping into this podcast, or if you've been listening for a long time, we have a website now, which is www.manga.college. Hence the name change, actually, is because someone had already taken the domain manga.university. Yes, it's that trivial. Oh, darn. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and they took everything related to Manga University, so we decided to make the transition. So manga.college is literally the hub that will have everything. The podcast, the YouTube channel, all of our social media links. We'll put links in the show notes as well but it's literally just M-A-N-G-A dot college. Anyways, guys, thanks for joining us today. Next up, we'll have another comic creator called Matt Garvey, and we'll be looking at comedies and superhero comics as well. But until then, we will see you next week.